Good morning, Christ City. Traditionally, this Sunday, after summer holidays, is our launch Sunday. It's uh, the Sunday where we get off uh, getting ready and setting some vision for a productive fall and a productive fall season in the life of the church even. Um, But (laughs) that being said, let's be honest, uh, today is a Sunday in the beginning of a fall is anything but a regular fall. The thing is our year's been difficult and we're tired. I think many of us are worn out and we're probably feeling a little bit beat down. Some of us I think are are far from optimistic. And as we consider the fall, there's probably some questions that are floating around in our brains and in our hearts. We're wondering things like um, this, like how do we thrive in a season that is so unpredictable? Or how do we remain productive in a season that is so subject to change? How do we lean forward and live a hopeful and meaningful life uh, in a world that seems like it's just fragile? It's about to break apart, come apart at the seams. This morning, we're going to look at John 15 and the words of Jesus. What I want to do is I want to go back to basics with you, back to the basics of the Christian faith, to look at Jesus' words and to be taught and encouraged about what it means to truly flourish, even in a season as unpredictable as this one. A season where apparently episode after episode keep happening, even uh, moth infestations and smoke and forest fires keep happening in this unpredictable year. We're going to look at what Jesus says. We're going to see that his words are simple and surprising. And yet they lead to fruitfulness that isn't threatened by COVID. It's not threatened by social tensions or by personal hardship of any kind. We're going to look at two points this morning. we look at point number one. What is fruitfulness? What is flourishing? Point number two, how do I uh, bear fruit? How do I flourish in Jesus? We're just going to look at what Jesus says in this text and, and what it means and how to do it. So point one, uh, look at what is flourishing in John 15, verses 1 to 6. And before we jump in, I want to invite you to, to stop and just look at your life. I want you to honestly evaluate right now, um, what are the things that you're holding on to? What are the things that you are hoping in this season will bring you life, will lead to your fruitfulness and flourishing? What are the things that you are finding your purpose and your meaning in? And are they the things that Jesus speaks of in this text? So look at this text with me, John 15, 1 to 6. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So in this text, Jesus says to us, 2020, given all that our year has included and all that it might yet still include in the days and months and weeks ahead, he says that fruitfulness, that life itself, 
only happens by abiding in him. Now, like a lot of people, as the COVID shutdowns hit us, I became a first-time gardener. I took all of this dirt, uh, just incredible amounts of dirt in bigs, and I carted them into my elevator and tried really carefully not to spill it on the ground and to anger my building manager. And I brought it upstairs to my sun deck, and I planted tomatoes. And I confess, I had no idea what I was doing. So thankfully, uh, a month or two in, as the, the tomato branches were really flourishing and there was all kinds of activity uh, in those branches, I came home one day and I had seen that my mother-in-law was there, who knows something about gardening, and she had pruned those vines. She cut off all those branches that didn't have flowers budding on them in order that the ones that were flowering would be more productive. And it was a hot day, so by the time I got home, I could see that the branches that were removed from the vine were withering already by the end of the day. It's a really familiar illustration that Jesus uses for us in this passage, this idea of of being connected to a vine in order for the branches to have life in that vine. And yet when we stop and we think about what Jesus is really saying, it's shocking. He's saying things that are striking to us. He's saying life and flourishing are only found by being vitally connected to him, the vine. And as shocking as this is for us, it does make good sense out of what John has been saying, uh, the disciple of Jesus who wrote for us the gospel account that we're reading. Uh, it makes good sense of what John has been teaching us about Jesus from the very beginning of his gospel. You see, in John's introduction, he describes Jesus as the arrival, as the arrival in this world, not as the arrival of a decent guy into a decent world to make it a little bit better. No, John's descriptions are of Jesus coming as light into pitch darkness. His description is of Jesus coming as a life into a world that is dead. His description is of Jesus coming as hope in a world that has none. Just look at John chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 to see what I mean. There John writes about Jesus. All things are made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. It's in Jesus. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then throughout the Gospel of John, this idea of Jesus standing forward as the Savior of the world who is light and life. That same theme is weaved throughout the entirety of John's gospel. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38, he says, if anyone thirsts, maybe that's you this morning. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, life abundant and overflowing. And in John 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That is hope for us who live so often in darkness and sin. They will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he says in John 17, verse 3, 
He says, this is eternal life. In contrast to the world of death. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, John shows us Jesus. A Jesus who knows who he is. A Jesus who puts himself forward and offers himself to us as the only option for life in a world full of death and darkness and sin. In a world that constantly offers us false hope, promising us life where it cannot be found. So this morning, I'm wondering, where are you looking for meaning right now? Where are you looking for flourishing and for life? Are you looking for it in Jesus, according to what he said in John 15? Or are you looking for it somewhere else? Are you looking for it in your job? Are you looking for it in your increasing net worth or in increasing your learning and understanding of a given topic? Are you looking for it in spiritual practices of some kind that are outside of Jesus? Are you looking for it in in physical pleasure, just pursuing ever more pleasure for yourself in some way? Are you looking for it in your entertainment or maybe even in sports? Although now that the Canucks are out, I'm sure that maybe that's less of a problem for some of you. Are you looking for it in relationships? I want to ask you, have those pursuits for life and flourishing apart from Jesus, have they been fruitful in your life? Have they led to the flourishing of those closest to you, your friends and your family? Have they been a blessing to your neighbors? Has your marriage grown sweeter and deeper because you've been pursuing those things apart from Jesus? Have your kids benefited deep down in their souls by you, their parent, as you pursue a life and flourishing apart from Christ? When you get a moment of calm and you slow down and your eyes close at night, do you find a rich source of life welling up inside your soul? Or when you stop and you slow down and just the, the past weeks and months catch up with you, and you start to think, do you encounter a soul in anguish and in turmoil? Christy, Jesus says to us, He says in John 10, verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Christ City, friends, there are many imposters in this world that say, Come over here, have life, have flourishing. We will satisfy you. But it's a lie. They're calling you away from Jesus and they will not satisfy you. They will not lead you to flourish. The enemy roars looking for someone to devour. But I want you to take hope. No matter how negative your reflection of yourself is right now, as mine often is thinking about these same things, I want us to take hope together. And I want us to see a counterintuitive encouragement from verses 5 and 6. Look what Jesus says to people struggling like us. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burned. 
Now, I know that this probably isn't the very first verse you think of as an encouragement to you as you struggle in this season. But I want you to see that it is an encouraging passage. I want you to see it in what Jesus doesn't say. Because Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, if anyone struggles with sin, he's cut off and thrown into the fire. He doesn't say, if anyone doubts, he is rejected from me and apart from me. He doesn't say if anyone has a bad week or a bad month or a bad year, that's it. He doesn't say if anyone does something stupid, that it's game over. No, he says, if anyone does not abide in me. So the key to having life and being fruitful is simply abiding in Jesus. It's remaining in Jesus. It's coming again and again and again, no matter how often it has to be, to Jesus, repenting of your sin and saying, Jesus, I want your life. Would you take me in again? Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he summarizes the Christian life this way. I love this. He says, step one of the Christian life is this. Come to Jesus. He says, step two of the Christian life is to see step one. Because Jesus has come into this world, into the midst of our greatest need, with a heart full of mercy and grace and love towards sinners like you and I that need it. He doesn't ask us for perfection. He asks us to come to him, to abide in him, and to receive his life as a gift. And he longs to give it to us. And yet, as we look at our second point, how do we flourish? Let's be honest. This whole idea of abiding in Christ is not something that's necessarily intuitive to us. It seems fairly abstract. Well, okay, great, I get it, Brant, but how do I do it? What does Jesus say? How do I do it? Well, he speaks to it in John 15, 7 to 12. How do I flourish? How do I abide in Jesus? Look at what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So John, the disciple of Jesus who wrote this gospel, uh, he was an ancient Hebrew. It's important for us to know because ancient Hebrews communicated differently than we do in our Western society. Not in a linear way, but in this overlapping and folding in and adding layer upon layer of themes and ideas in their communication. They'd introduce a topic and then sort of build on it in stages and weave other elements in to fill out what they're saying. It's helpful for us to know that here because John records Jesus' words for us in this same sort of way. He takes this idea of abiding in Jesus, and then he adds three more additional layers filling out what abiding actually means. I'm going to show them to you. First, in verse 7, the first layer is this idea of Jesus' words remaining in us. Look at what he says. As if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, of course, 
Abiding is nothing if it's not being richly connected to Jesus in relationship, in the same way that a branch is connected to the vine, receiving its lifeblood from that vine. But specifically here, the intimacy of that relationship is connected to this idea of Jesus' words being the words that dwell in us, that shape us, that transform our minds and our lives. So much so that our wills themselves, what we want in this life, starts to become united, not with who we were before, what we wanted before, but pulled in to be in alignment with what God himself wants for us. So that, Jesus says, even when we pray, we begin to pray the very thing that God wants to give us. And when Jesus' words are in us and we pray along with what God wants to give us as our words and our will are connected with his and his words are in us, he gives us what he asks, what we ask. Abiding in Jesus includes and must mean that his words abide in us in this rich and deep way. So there's a question, let me ask you. Do you then treasure Jesus' words? Do you treasure Jesus' words? And not just the words in quotation marks in the Gospels from Jesus, but Jesus, as the word of God, communicates to us the entirety of the Bible. Do you treasure the Bible? Right now, I think just because of the way that this world is working and and the season of conflict that we're in in a number of different ways and, and hardship, Um, I think it's really tempting for us to turn away from the Bible, to turn away from the life that's pulsating through the simple words of the gospel message, to try to find another answer, a better answer, a better voice, to turn away and find something new because we get tired of the old voice from Scripture. But don't be deceived. Life and flourishing are only found in Jesus' words. And throughout history, this has been proved true time and again. As individual people have been shaped by the word of God and changed. And it's led to the flourishing, not just of millions, but of billions of people. As God's heart of love and mercy has led whole societies to move from a godless and immoral ethic to an ethic of love for the weak and the helpless, care for the oppressed. As Christians who valued reason and writing as a desire to communicate the word of God to others have spread literacy far and, far and wide in this world. And as human beings dead in sin come, most of, importantly, come to turn away from their sin and to abide in the vine, reconciled to God, united to him, forgiven and made new so they make a difference in their own communities. Jesus' word alone bears true and world-changing fruit. Now, the second layer that Jesus adds, this idea of abiding in him, is found in verse 9. Because as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abiding in Jesus' love is a second element to what it means to abiding in him. Another way to translate the word abide is just to translate it as remain, stay. So friends, stay in Jesus' love. Don't leave it. I know that as good Christians, we all know uh, that we, uh, we know we're supposed to answer when someone asks, yeah, 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 we love Jesus. We say those words a lot. We sing those words in songs. 
but they come out of our lips easily, but it's not often or often not the case that it's reflected in our lives. It's easy to test and see what it is that we really love. Not just that we say we love, but how we live our lives. See, the things that we love most, the loves that compel us to make the decisions that are most important in our lives, they're always seen in the way that we actually live and the decisions we make. So I want you to think about your life for a moment. What do you really love? What does your wallet and your calendar and your daydreams say about who or what you really love? Friends, Jesus is calling us to abide in his love. Maybe the reason that you're so dissatisfied right now in this season of life is that you've walked away from Jesus. Maybe it's that you've not been abiding in his love at all. I want to encourage you, the way back to abiding in Jesus then begins with the repentance. If you've left him, he's standing with open arms to receive you. Have you let something else creep in and steal your heart away from him? Come to Jesus. He's not severe. He's waiting with grace and mercy to cover you, to welcome you home, and to cause you to be truly fruitful. Now, the third element of abiding in Jesus that he speaks of here, that John weaves into this this whole idea of abiding in him, is obeying Jesus' commands. Look at verses 12, uh, 10 to 12. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, abiding in Jesus isn't just thinking good thoughts about Jesus. I'm abiding in Jesus because I think uh, good and positive thoughts about him. No, abiding in Jesus is practical. Friends, do we obey Jesus? Do we regularly repent of our sin and turn away from it and then ask him, say, Jesus, would you give me the strength? Would you empower me by your spirit to cause me to obey you? I receive your grace and your forgiveness. I want to follow you. Do we do that? And of course, obeying Jesus' commandments certainly includes all of his commandments. It includes following all of scripture. But he has something specific in mind here. Look what he says in chapter 15, verse 12. He says, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. You see, Jesus calls us to obey his commandments specifically by loving other people. By loving one another in the same way that Jesus has loved us. This sort of love, it's not an emotionalism. It's not an intellectualism. It's not just thinking the right things about love or feeling the right feelings. No, it's loving like Jesus himself lived. And how did Jesus live? How did Jesus love? Well, his love for us, first off, was personally expensive. He sacrificed himself in order to love us. It cost him. As God the Son left the pleasures of heaven above to be born into this world in sinfulness, uh, not his sinfulness, but in the, the experience of the suffering of sin in this world, and then to suffer and die in our place. The love of Jesus was love that was practical. Because Jesus didn't just talk about cool things about God. He didn't just have abstract ideas that he communicated. No, he showed us his love. 
He lived his love by caring for the sick, by welcoming sinners, loving them, by bringing the broken into dinner, caring for them, loving them, sharing meals with them. Jesus' love for us was also intimate. So unlike our love, I think we often try to love people at arm's length, but Jesus never did that. Those who were held at arm's length by society, Jesus brought close to his very breast. See, abiding in Jesus means obeying his commandments by stepping out in obedience and faith to love others. Christ said, for you, that's to love those around you in this church. To love those around you in your community, your friends and family, your neighbors, to love them the way that Jesus himself has loved you. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How do we abide? We abide by Jesus' words remaining in us. We abide by staying in the love of Jesus. We abide by living a life that is obedient to the commandments of Jesus. So in conclusion, let me say this. I bet in this season you want to flourish. I bet you want to succeed. I bet you want purpose. I bet you want to fall asleep at night and have peace in your soul as you close your eyes and lie on your bed. And let's face it, the reality is that even though 2020 has so far been tumultuous, we don't know if it might become more tumultuous next week. But I want to say to you that no matter what happens tomorrow or next week or next month, Jesus' words here are true. There is a clear pathway to flourishing and fruitfulness that he himself has laid out for us. It's not a new social order. It's not some unique teaching. It's abiding in Jesus. So as we enter this fall season, I want to invite you to slow down. Take a moment to reflect. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you being shaped by his words? Are you growing to know his love and his radical grace and forgiveness for you? Are you obeying his commands? Are you making sacrifices to love others as he has loved you? Are you empowered by him and his spirit to love those around you? Because you are delighting in and living in the way that he has first loved you. If not, you will not abide in Christ. And if not, you will not bear much fruit. There are a lot of voices that are just sounding loud all around us right now, offering us various ways, both big and small, to have some semblance of flourishing in this season. But through all the noise, I pray, Christ, that you would hear the words of Jesus. In 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing.